0: Hello and welcome to episode 51 of Yeah, It's That Bad. My name is Joel. And I'm Martin. And this is the show that looks at supposedly bad movies and asks the question, is it really that bad? And what that boils down to is that we look at movies that are rotten on Rotten Tomatoes and we reevaluate that score, Does it really deserved to be that low. Tonight's movie is 2004's I, Robot, directed by Alex Proyas, starring Will Smith, Bridget Moynihan, Bruce Greenwood, James Cromwell, Chai McBride, Alan Tudyk, and Shia LaBeouf. Buff. I, Robot is a 2004 science fiction action film, which is very loosely based on Isaac Asimov's short story collection of the same name. The film currently holds a 58% on Rotten Tomatoes. How about a plot synopsis? It's
1: 2035 AD, where robots are everyday objects and are programmed to live alongside humans. Detective Dell Spooner is called out to investigate the apparent suicide of the scientist behind these robots, Dr. Alfred Lanning. Spooner suspects that the death might not be a suicide, but the result of one of the robots. All robots are programmed by three laws, but Spooner starts to wonder if a robot can in fact feel emotions and possibly murder. But if Spooner's suspicions are true, he's going to have a hard time convincing everyone.
0: This is the first episode of 2012. That we're recording in
1: 2012. Yes. So uh, this the is The first episode that was released in 2012 was Twilight. Yes.
0: New buffoon. This is the first episode of season two of the podcast, I guess you could say. Yeah, I'd say so. You may have noticed that Kevin is missing. Yeah, Kevin's wallowing in his chaotic, insecure <laughs> delusions right now, so. <laughs> as usual, as usual. I Robot, Martin. What is your history with this?
1: I saw it in the theaters. I remember enjoying it, but the oh man, the second viewing was not enjoyable. It's a
0: little different. Very different. Okay, as for me, I remember seeing this movie in the theater back in 2004, and I had read the book before I saw the movie, and that severely affected my viewing of the movie when I saw it back in 2004. I did not read the book
1: till after I saw the movie, and does it even make sense that I could be mad at the movie post because it's so different from the stories. Does that make sense? I well, mean, cause, cause I kind of, I, I remember reading the stories and being angry at what they did in the movie.
0: I remember thinking when I walked out of the theater, I said, this was a good summer blockbuster, but a terrible Isaac Asimov movie. Is that fair? Very fair. Let's do what we always do at the top of the show. We'll discuss the actors one by one, and we'll see how you thought they did. Okay, first up, William
1: Smith. I've never seen him look better. He was jacked. I'd say he probably did about three scoops of Jack 3D a day to get a body like that. As far as his acting goes, it was action star level. It wasn't... We just, we just, what does that mean? It means just that. There wasn't a lot of emoting or a lot of subtext to be... There's a lot of one-liners. Yeah, yeah, exactly. To be projected to the audience. It was really... This movie was based more on action, and so the developing of a character wasn't the biggest part of the I- movie, so as for an for for an actor, that's not a very challenging role, I don't think.
0: I'm sure the all the little jokes and little quips, they probably were hilarious in 2004, but they completely fell flat for me this time around. Like, it was obnoxious, really. Like, the character he was portraying, I thought was annoying.
1: I don't remember anything that he said, I just remember him being very angry and very mean to everybody. Yeah. Okay, next up,
0: Bridget Moynihan.
1: Okay, she was Dr. Lanning's
0: assistant? She used to be Tom Brady's girlfriend. Tom
1: Brady's girlfriend! <laughs> <laughs> I think that's more important. She was cold icy in the beginning of the movie and then I think she was supposed to like melt a little bit but she got hot debonair beefcake Beef cake. beefcake <laughs> she was kind of one dimensional middle of the road you, you, she was okay you know I, I she wasn't horrible but she wasn't great either there's no Kate Beckinsale but who is you know how I feel about Kate Beckinsale you love her yeah. debonair beefcake <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna get old fast
0: uh, yeah it, it got sure, old it like got, 10 episodes old, okay. ago <laughs> Bridget Moynihan, yeah, I, I thought she did okay. She did a pretty decent job. Yeah, she she did what her... She did exactly... She did what her character was... Yeah, yeah, thing. yeah, she did a good job with the character, so... Yeah. Alright, all right. next up, Bruce Greenwood. He was the, the man in charge, the boss. He was great. He played a very good, stereotypical rich guy. Did a good job with that.
1: Yeah, he did. He made me hate him for no reason. He didn't actually do anything wrong on screen. He was slick, 80s style. Yes! I was seen that he too. Was, he was very Wall Street. He
0: fulfilled my 1980s villain quota for this movie very well.
1: He was a great kickback to the stereotypical sleazy 1980s Wall Street multi-billionaire villain. I could have seen this guy
0: running around in Ro- RoboCop 3. Oh my god, I was, I was about to say <laughs> RoboCop. He was very sleazy is probably a good word. Okay, next up, one of my favorite actors, James Cromwell.
1: He was great. I love this guy. He was very good in this movie, although he wasn't actually in it in the story. He was just a hologram. He
0: stole this movie. He had like three lines this whole movie, and it was his movie. I was like, god, this guy's a fantastic <laughs> (laughs) I need more movies with him in it. Okay, next up, Chai McBride. Now, I know this guy from a little TV show called Boston Public that no one has ever watched except me. No, I watched it too. It also
1: had that really old guy that was a history teacher. Yes. He played that, like, very rough straight-to-the-punch kind of police officer. He was police the stereotypical, he was stereotypical police, police chief. chief.
0: Turn in your badge. But he, but he had a heart of gold. He had a heart of gold. Yeah. <laughs> I like this guy. I, I would like to see him in more things. To me, he is like a modern-day Charles S. Dutton. Yeah, agreed. Oh yeah. Agreed. Rock. Live. <laughs> no one knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay, next up, Alan Tudyk. Alan
1: Tudyk was, what, the voice actor for the robot protagonist?
0: Yeah, and the performance of the robot. Robot. Like the Polar Express, same kind of thing. Like the performance capture. Like Gollum. Yes. I believed
1: he was a robot. He was a man trying to act like a robot. Mission accomplished. Our
0: listeners may know him better. Like he was on Firefly and Serenity. Why our listeners? The internet as a whole. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> what did you think? I liked it. I liked the sound of his voice. How's that? It sounded. Very- he was a good choice. It's he did a- a- You know what? He did a good job. He emoted pretty well as that robot. I think the performance was better than the technology technology. technology that they used to create it. So it it, it was this weird disconnect. This guy was doing a really good job acting, but the methods that they used to portray him on screen didn't really... Didn't really do his acting justice. Justice. Yes, exactly. Is that fair? Yeah, I actually agree
1: with you. A a very big distraction for me in this movie, I think, not only was the the poor CG, but also the design of the robots.
0: Yeah, we'll definitely get into that as we go along here. It was very distracting. Okay, and uh, finally, of course, the triumphant return of our main man, Shia LaBeouf. This was a young, young, young upstart. Young Shia, young, young Shia. Young, upst- This is back when he was in his sidekick phase. He was everybody's sidekick. Yeah, I mean, he was the best sidekick. Yeah, Constantine, oh, Will Smith, everybody. World's best sidekick.
1: Yeah. He was a street urchin. He was a street rat riffraff, but I don't buy that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> he was...
1: Just <laughs> 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 he, live. Live. he didn't really have a lot of face time in this movie, but when he was there, I was happy to see him. That's for sure. It brought back pleasant uh, memories of Transformers,
0: <laughs> the Rise of the Fallen.
1: <laughs> like, oh, Shia, in a couple of years, you're going to hit it big. I legitimately like Shia LaBeouf. Do you like him as an actor or as a person? All of the above. Yeah. As a beef <laughs> Anyway, I think... One to five beefcakes. How how many beefcakes is he? (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> anyway, I like Shia LaBeouf, but no, let's not be naive. There, there's no reason for him to be in this movie whatsoever, right? Like his character was superfluous. Everything about his
1: story arc could have been easily represented by just random people. He didn't actually do anything. The throwaway lines that he had when he interacted with Will Smith were just that, throwaway. And then he was supposed to be the face of what? Like the people reacting to the robot revolution? He was me and you.
0: He the everyman. He was the everyman? Yep. Unnecessary. He was in the movie for like five minutes. And those five minutes could have been cut and we would have lost nothing. We would have lost one stupid special effects scene which we'll talk to you later but okay you know before we get out of here I just want to bring up that uh, Alex Proyas this is our second run-in with this guy. Do you remember what our previous Alex Proyas movie was? One missed call? <laughs> he did knowing. Let's get into the brief history of iRobot. For many years fans hoped that any movie based on Asimov's robot short stories would be based on an earlier screenplay written for Warner Brothers by Harlan Ellison with Asimov. Asimov's personal support, which is generally perceived to be a relatively faithful treatment of the source material. You may remember our friend Harlan Allison from the In Time episode. The film that was ultimately made originally had no connection with Asimov, originating as a screenplay written in 1995 by Jeff Vinter, entitled Hardwired. The script was an Agatha Christie-inspired murder mystery that took place entirely at the scene of the crime. The project was first picked up by Walt Disney Pictures for Brian Singer to direct. Several years later, 20th Century Fox required the rights and signed Alex Proyas as director. Jeff Vinter was brought back onto the project and spent several years opening up his stage play-like mystery to meet the needs of a big-budget studio film. Akiva Goldsman was hired late in the process to rewrite the script for Will Smith. These drafts excised a great deal of complexity from the murder mystery, replacing them with the big action scenes associated with a Will Smith movie. Will Wheaton and Emilio Estevez auditioned for the part of Sonny, the suspect robot. Denzel Washington was offered the role of Detective Spooner. Had he accepted, this would have been the second time he played a a previously married police officer with a bionic left arm who chases down a killer robot. (laughs) The first time being as Parker Barnes in Virtuosity... In an interview in June 2007 with the website Collider.com at a Battlestar Galactica event, writer and producer Ronald Moore stated that he is writing the sequel to the film I Robot. And finally, Martin, this movie made how much worldwide? 2004. I'm going to say 300 million dollars. Pretty close. 347 million dollars. Okay, Martin, I Robot. Now, this movie starts off with a listing of the Three Laws of Robotics, which, as you may recall, this is now the second movie we reviewed that dealt with Isaac Asimov's Three Laws of Robotics. And the last movie was... Mar just looked at me like, <laughs> with this blank stare. You were there. We reviewed it. Yeah, I know. I'm sure I was. Well, the last movie that we watched that had the three laws of robotics in them was a little movie called Bicentennial Man. That was in that movie? Yes, it was. When they first bought the Bicentennial Man, he came out of the crate and he had a little presentation about the three laws of robotics. Do you want to rewatch Bicentennial Man right now? No, I don't. And that, that wasn't a very... That- <laughs> yeah, you're right. I'm going to pause this podcast. Let's, let's watch Bicentennial Man no. <laughs> come on. Okay. So for those who don't know, here are the three laws of robotics. And I think these are pretty important to go through because they will define the rules that this movie is structured upon. And constantly breaking. Yeah. So it's kind of important that we go through these. Here are Isaac Asimov's three laws of robotics. Number one, a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction, allow a human being to come to harm. Two, a robot must obey the orders given to it by... human beings except when such orders would conflict with the first law and three a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second laws it's pretty straightforward right there right essentially a robot's gotta do whatever a human being tells it to do a robot can never ever hurt a human being and so on those those are the important factors right there alright so this movie starts off with Will Smith having a dream just like Bella had a dream yeah it was the exact same thing he had the exact same dream that Bella had he was was identical (laughs) so Will Smith is having a dream that he's drowning in water.
1: Will Smith gets up, and a lot of this, I guess, is... This, this is for the ladies, right? Was this fan service for the female audience? No, I think they were speaking directly to you. Oh, th- this was fan service for Martin. Will Smith gets up, starts flexing, essentially, and
0: makes his <laughs> way. <laughs> <laughs> I just pictured him like sliding across the room. Like every time he flexes, he moves forward, like he just glides across the room. <laughs>
1: he is getting ready for his day as a police officer, as a detective, but it's a really long, drawn out shower scene. And I don't really understand what it is. I, I think it's supposed to show that he is traumatized in some way by this dream. And so he's putting his head against the wall while he's in the shower, but the shot is really, really long and far away. So it just shows him completely naked, flexing while he's showering. <laughs> There's no shower curtain. There's no shower curtain. And he's just got his hand on the wall with his left leg stretched forward, his right leg back. And it looks like he's about to do a squat, like a one-legged <laughs> squat. If they put like a bar on his back, he's in perfect form. How many beefcakes does he get? He gets five out of five beef cakes for this <laughs> This was full beef.
0: <laughs> Have you ever taken a shower and like just slightly open the curtains? Water shoots everywhere. <laughs> if
1: any human being took a shower like this,
0: they're a would be under two inches of water. (laughs) I remember seeing this back in 2004 and and just wondering, like, why is this happening? Why is this going on? I think I know why they did it. I'm trying to
1: rationalize that this was some sort of fan service, but for me, it makes me think that he's going to walk around the movie naked. That's what it's setting up, that he's just a nudist detective.
0: Are you writing a script for your softcore
1: (laughs) Cinemax movie? Yeah, um, Cinemax special. The nudist detective.
0: I think I know why they did this.
1: Please, unlike me because I'm really confused by it.
0: Oh, okay. So l- later on in the movie, we come to find out that Will Smith he has got a little bit of trauma involving water and a car. So I'm assuming that he's kind of claustrophobic. He doesn't want to be enclosed with water, which is why he chooses to shower without a shower curtain. How's that for a theory?
1: That's quite a stretch. That's re- <laughs> a really <laughs> big stretch.
0: <laughs> Speaking of nudity, th- there's a point in this movie, and I know you saw this, Will Smith is wearing black boxers. He's sleeping in these black boxers, and he leans forward. Forward. Yeah, like, like he gets up out of bed and, and his, there is, his, there is, his, there's light going down into his groin. His legs are together and he kind of bends forward. And the way that the light and the shadows play <laughs> on his groin area, it looks like he's just straight up naked. After Will Smith showers and he's ready for his day, he moseys on over and he picks up a box of sneakers. And what's he got there?
1: He's got a pair of Chuck Taylors, which I, I'm wearing right now. I'm wearing the low tops though. He had the high tops.
0: Yeah, so this movie's got some product placement in it. I seem to remember there being a a lot more product placement than there actually is. Like, it's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. I remember it being Michael Bay-esque. Yeah, like just in your face left and right. But there wasn't that much. I mean, it's just that th- this Converse stuff is just so blatant because he puts on these shoes and he goes to his grandma's house and his grandmother's like, what the hell are those on your feet? To which he replies,
1: All Stars, Converse, Vintage, 2004. Yeah, it's the thing Long- of beauty. Thing yeah. of beauty. You want me to get you a pair?
0: And that's the funny thing because like first off, it- she was alive then, wouldn't she know? Martin, pop quiz. When were Chuck Taylor's first brought onto the market. In the 30s or 40s, right? 1917. Okay. Yeah, so... I think Grandma would know what they are. That has to win the award for some of the most blatant in-your-face product, product placement, placement ever. It's one thing if he just put those shoes on and went on his way, but the fact that they had to call it out like that, it was just so bad. So glaringly
1: bad. They gotta, they gotta make some money, Joel. Come but on.
0: I thought that sequence made Michael Bay look like the height of...
1: Restraint?
0: Yes. P- and p- poise when he
1: when when he does his product placement, he uses the utmost restraint.
0: (laughs) All right, so the the movie moves forward and Will Smith leaves his grandma's house and we get our encounter with our first robot. It's a FedEx robot, another product placement. Tell me, what did you think of the robot? The design, the CG, everything.
1: The CG looks horrible. The design looks like something that the Venture Brothers stole.
0: Yeah, that's one of the problems with this movie. I strongly dislike the way these robots are designed. I just don't like them. What about the designs don't you like, though? I just don't like the way they look. they look silly looking.
1: It looks like it should be in a Pixar animated short, right?
0: Yeah, like that movie Robots. They, they look cheesy, I think. I just don't like the, the designs of the robots, like both versions of the robots.
1: The old version looks like it should be in a Pixar animated short, and I stand by that. And the, the latter version, It the They just look silly to me. Looks like an iPod turned into a robot. Yeah,
0: I don't like them. And I also don't think that the 2004 kind of special effects, like they weren't quite there yet. I feel as if this movie would have been a little better if at least some of the robots were actually- there, like they were real. Because when Will Smith, like, grabs that robot and pushes it aside. It looks ridiculous. Yeah,
1: it's I mean, like, let's call a spade a spade. It looks completely out of control and ridiculous. It it looks like he's it doesn't look like he's actually touching anything. And the way his arm responds and the way the robot moves, (laughs) you could tell it's not there. It's fake.
0: Okay, so we get our first little piece of action in this movie. Will Smith, he sees a robot running down the street with a purse and he chases after it because he assumes that the robot stole the purse. So he's running after the criminal. This, to me, was very reminiscent to a little film called Men in Black where Will Smith chased down
1: a <laughs> criminal on foot. Yeah, this robot jumped up a building and then it winked at him with his eyes. Yes, he did. So he chases this robot down and dives on it at the last second and a woman grabs her inhaler out. It turns out that she's having some type of asthmatic problem. Cardiac arrest. She's having a heart attack. <laughs> she's her inhaler. <laughs> so everybody looks at him like he is a total asshole. She even calls him that. That That quote from the movie. And I agree with them because right after this, he's the laughingstock of the police precinct that he works in for good reason because no robot has ever broken the three laws. So how could one steal? At this point, you would have to say that this man is insane. Yeah, that's a
0: really good point. Like, why would you even assume it?
1: I had a huge problem with this scene because he shouldn't even think it. If he was born in a society where robots were integrated so completely and they're like furniture and they can't break these three laws, why would that even come to his mind? I might even go as far as to say that like
0: the robots probably existed before he was even born. Oh, absolutely. It's like a kid being born into the internet. He just has no conception of a time of, without it, without the internet. You know, it's like, what the hell is that? Like what's a floppy disk? You know, that, that kind of a thing. So, which it, is interesting because they still use that icon. I know, I know. But Will Smith, if he grew up in this world where there are always robots and you've never seen them do anything harmful to anyone ever, ever. And it, and it,
1: in fact, like by fact has never happened.
0: Let me dip into the books a little bit and and say that like those three laws if a robot breaks them they die like they die essentially like the robot will break and and they'll fall apart like their their brains shut down and this goes so far as a robot seeing a person getting hurt like that happened in the books like a robot saw somebody die and that like destroyed it yeah that's pretty serious so like it is ingrained within these things they can't commit harm ever
1: why is he assuming one is stealing a purse there's a huge problem for me so but apparently in his precinct that was like understandable everybody had assumed like that he has a robot vendetta or if there was some type of like robot racism, he had it.
0: Yeah, I think he's a racist. I think that's what it is. He's, this movie is trying to be some sort of a heavy handed take on racism. Will Smith is black. He wears black. The robot he's chasing later in the movie is white.
1: Wow, Joel, you've done it
0: again. (laughs) Look, look at this. The next Ebert. Right here in your (laughs) mitts. Can't even believe it. Will Smith gets called to the scene of a crime and he finds the dilapidated Corpse of a disheveled old man laying on the sidewalk like yeah. a bum. Yeah, he
2: actually he actually did look like a
1: bum. He wasn't shaved. He was craving a shaving at the time of death. <laughs> Joel wanted to jump in there with a straight edge razor and just start shaving at the screen. Yeah, my
0: shaving hand was twitching.
1: <laughs> time of death.
0: <laughs> You're of shaving him. <laughs> hey, this is a crime scene. You know? I'm, like, I'm shaving the victim. <laughs>
1: So, apparently, what was left behind was a holographic projector that specifically requested Will Smith's character to come and investigate his death.
0: Right, I got a question for you. How do you compare holographic James Cromwell to holographic Dennis Quaid in G.I. <laughs> <G>. Joe? G.I. <laughs> Joe Rise of Cold <laughs>
1: I prefer Holographic Dennis Quaid. I mean, both were kind of bland, a
0: little emotionalist.
1: Yeah, but Holographic Dennis Quaid was just like a straight up recording, whereas Holographic James Cromwell was like a program, so it it was choppy. Dennis Quaid just was choppy in his acting.
0: (laughs) Okay, so James Cromwell is dead, and everybody thinks it's a suicide, but Will Smith, he thinks that it's a murder, and that is essentially what kickstarts this whole movie. That is the murder mystery that we're trying to solve, and that's what gets this plot rolling. This is where
1: we get introduced. Introduced to the building's AI system, Vicky, he asks it to show him the recording of the time from when the professor is actually pushed out of the window to the time where he hits the ground, so he can actually see what happened or who pushed him out or how it happened. And it says that the data is missing or is corrupted.
0: Yeah, because that's not suspicious
1: at all, right? Yeah, no, that's not suspicious. But nobody finds it suspicious.
0: Yeah, it's like ah, oh, uh, it happens. Yeah, but, you, you've been operating flawlessly for the past twenty years, but <laughs> but when someone <laughs> dies, you just happen to malfunction? Yeah, what a coincidence. Eh, whatever. Yeah, so there's this supercomputer AI that's watching over everything. Anyway, so we go into the professor's office and it kind of reminded me of that train of abandoned toys from the Polar (laughs) Express, like with all this junk everywhere. To me, it looked like Geppetto's wood shop. That's probably exactly what they were going for. Will Smith believes that whoever may have killed James Cromwell is still in the lab. So he's looking around and he says something that I think is pretty interesting. He's looking around and And they're talking about the three laws and Will Smith is saying that he thinks the laws are faulty whereas Bridget Moynihan thinks that they're flawless and she says that a robot could no more break the three laws than a human being could walk on water and then Will Smith's reply to that is he goes you know there was this one guy a really long time ago and then the robot bursts out so that is a pretty clear cut implication that this is robo Jesus we're dealing with so is this another Frankenstein metaphor movie? I think partially. Man's over Indulgence in technology will lead to this. his own
1: destruction. Yeah,
0: like his overdependence on technology.
1: I think so. He dives out of a 40 story void.
0: 40,000 feet. Foot, yeah, yeah 4
1: million feet in the <laughs> air.
0: <laughs> he's in outer space. In outer space. <laughs> and he makes a run for it. Yeah, he's bleeding. There's a robot blood. Will Smith chases will- after him. Then they, they go to the robo factory. <laughs> the robo factory?
1: Actually, after he gets shot, I like Moynihan's response. She goes, You've injured him. Yeah, you've so hurt him. Clearly! You you heard him! Like, he's a human. This is such a bizarre character, because everybody else treats them as pieces of furniture, and that's what they are. And then she's treating them like they're pets or people, and she's the only character that does that, besides Will Smith, but Will Smith does it in the complete opposite way.
0: Yeah, so they go to the robot factory, and we have this whole sequence of events where they, they chase down the robot. He hides himself amongst a million other identical looking clones, and they go through this sequence of events where Will Smith tries to Fared him out. What'd you think of this scene?
1: I thought it looked like Star Wars Clone Wars to me.
0: It did! It really did. I didn't like it.
1: I wasn't a huge fan of it either, but... That's
0: a really good way of putting it. Star Wars Episode 2. That's what it
1: looked... It looked very similar to that. Because
0: the room was fake, all e- the everything robots was, was fake. fake. And it didn't. Yeah. Ne-
1: it didn't need to be. It was just unnecessary use of CG, and it made the movie worse for the wear. So, they finally capture this robot by shooting a net at it as it's trying to escape this robot factory, and they bring bringing in for questioning. Will Smith somehow convinces his superior, the chief, to get five minutes interviewing this robot who is being apprehended like a human being would be apprehended, not put in, like, an evidence locker, because it's a thing. And there are six guards with machine guns pointed at its face.
0: That's the thing about this scene that I thought was weird because over and over and over again, the chief of police said, robots don't hurt people. This is just a malfunctioning piece of equipment. Yeah, they don't hurt people. Ever. Never. But then there's six six Armed, armed
1: guards. guards. They look like Looks- Master Chief from Halo. It's at this point that we found out that the robot has a name. It's Sunny. Yeah. And that it's more than meets the eye.
0: Whew. <sighs> Boy, yeah, this robot's got emotions. He's got human emotions. He gets angry. Why do they keep doing this? It's not a good idea to give <laughs> robots human emotions, right? There's like a list of sci-fi ideas that are just a bad idea. Like, hey, let's create super soldiers. That'll never backfire. <laughs> and that can never go wrong. Let me give this robot emotions, right? He'll never go turn wrong, on you know? us. <laughs> he'll never figure out that he's enslaved and he'll <laughs> turn against us.
1: So Will Smith isn't giving up though on this. So he goes to the mansion to see if he can find. More ideas or evidence that's related to the murder.
0: Yeah, yeah. He goes to James Cromwell's house to see if he can get some clues. Do a little Sherlock Holmes but investigation. Lo and behold, another malfunction. Yeah, there's a giant transformer robot outside that's there to demolish the house at 8 a.m. Which which transformer? The gray one. <laughs> Does that narrow it down for you? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> The metal one.
1: <laughs> so Ironsides takes this house out. Ironhide? No, Ironsides, this ship. <laughs> yeah. A wooden ship shoots <laughs> cannons at this house. The monitor comes up behind it and has a naval battle.
0: Yeah, yeah, so Will Smith is in this house. He's looking for clues. The robot wakes up and starts demolishing it. Tell me, what are your thoughts on this sequence of events?
1: The effects are comical. <laughs> It looks really fake. It doesn't, it looks like Will Smith is running on a green floor with a green wall behind him.
0: There's something about this scene that didn't sit too well in my crawl. You know, the back of my mouth just kind of went back there. I kind of got stuck. Oh, right yeah. There, yeah. just yeah. kind of got stuck there. So this house is being blown apart and he needs to escape through the front door. So he shoots the door. And what does he do to get out? He jump kicks the door, literally surfs the door in the air. No, he does. He's like 10 feet in the air when he does this. How how far away was the door from the pool in that shot? Two football fields
1: away. How fast do you think he was going when he hit it? Mach one. And how much do you think he has to weigh? <laughs> I mean, like, we don't have our degrees in physics, but we did help build the, the Unreal Engine. <laughs> it looked this, this scene looked like they used the Unreal Engine to kick him through the door.
0: <laughs> yeah, surf's up. <laughs> surf's up, bro. He leaves. Yeah, he's driving down this tunnel trying to go home, and he gets barricaded by these robot transport vehicles. That actually flew out of Star
1: Wars Episode
0: II. Yeah, they do. They, they look very <laughs> space opera. These vehicles kind of box him in all these robots start start flying out. All the robots are color-coded red like Tron. Because they're bad. They're bad guys. Will Smith's car can spin 360 degrees like in Speed Racer. I mean, the scene is supposed to be suspenseful. You're supposed to think
1: Will Smith is going to die, but then he puts his car into a spin that uses the centripetal force of his car to fling these robots all over the place. And I thought that it had that scene at first was believable, or at least in the realm of physical possibility. And then right when the car started to spin and he could still drive it.
0: Yeah, just He just just crossed over. He is a human being, right? It did like 800 rotations, right? It did. At 100 miles an hour. He should be dead. (laughs) His
1: blood should be on like the left side of his body and not in the right. He should just be...
0: Oh, he should
1: just be crushed. (laughs) It would stand to reason that these robots, which have superhuman strength and are gripping onto this car, but are getting flung off at that speed. That's a good
0: point, yes. He would have
1: to be spinning so quickly that it would crush his frail human body, right? Yes. He would be like a goo inside the car. (laughs) At least be a little dizzy. He was completely fine, though. (laughs) Not only that, the car crashed at the end of this sequence. He found a way to make these two transports collide into each other. They explode. He crashes his car at 140 miles an hour, I think? Thousand. 100 million miles an hour. (laughs)
0: Yes.
1: (laughs) He breaks the speed of light and crashes (laughs) into a wall.
0: You know, on paper, I think this sequence is cool. I think it's a good idea on paper. But I I don't think it works out.
1: This is the communism of action
0: scenes. Yet again, yes.
1: So one of the robots makes its way, I guess still attached to his car and attacks him, and it's at this point that you see him use this robotic arm of his for the first time. Yep. And apparently he's a super strong invincible... Th- like, this is a, he's, terrif- a ro- he's RoboCop. He's RoboCop. This And that's terrifying because if I was a police officer that worked with him and I knew that he was this powerful, but he's insane, I, I mean, I, w- I, I would be terrified to... <sighs> that's to- a really good question.
0: I would be... Because ter- we watched him punch through concrete. That's true. What would that's true. That do? is a weapon. He has a weapon grafted... as as an arm. Why did the doctor give him that?
1: (laughs) (laughs) That would be like attaching a machine gun to my body and being like, okay, you know, enjoy the
0: rest of your life as an artist. Listen, you lost your arm. We're going to give you a fake human arm that looks like a human arm, but it has 100,000 times the strength of a human arm. Like, why would you give a human being that kind of imbalance? Wouldn't you make it out of, like, weaker material? It's really funny because- That has a
1: 10 billion PSI? It shows him trying to counterbalance the strength on his one side in the beginning of the movie where he's only weightlifting on one side of his body with like a 10-pound dumbbell. You're gonna have to lift more than that to counterbalance the strength in your robotic arm.
0: With a hand like that, how can you possibly love a woman or scold a child? (laughs) Well, apparently, while this is all going on, there's a robot uprising. So, an hour and 30 minutes into the movie, there's the robot rebellion. Now, this is a very long, very long protracted series of events of action sequences with robots running amok and killing people and doing all this crazy stuff. One thing I want to make a note of about this robot rampage stuff is that the whole reason why Isaac Asimov wrote these robot stories in the first place, the whole reason why he came up with the three laws at all was because he was so sick and tired of reading these kind of Frankenstein rip-off stories over and over again where a scientist creates something and it destroys them. Like, that was just a cliche during his time period. He was so tired of it. That's why he came up with these three laws so that a robot would never be able to turn into, like, a Frankenstein situation. So what do they do when they write the script? The Is complete,
1: they- complete <laughs> opposite! They turn into a Frankenstein situation!
0: I'm kind of, uh, of two minds with myself with this because in the Twilight episode, we were like, we're not reviewing the books. We're reviewing the movie. So we kind of have to remove ourselves from that, right?
1: This movie, though, is supposed to be based on the idea of iRobot, right?
0: Suggested by iRobot. It says
1: at the end. Yeah, no, no. It said suggested by Isaac Asimov's iRobot. Like, so what does that mean? It almost insinuated that Isaac Asimov suggested that they make this movie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, anyway, so there's a robot rampage. You know, Shia LaBeouf is running around. With lead pipes and and, (laughs) and, and, uh, grenade launchers. (laughs) I like the one scene where Shia LaBeouf stands up to a robot and this robot, this superhuman robot, shoves him so hard that Shia goes flying several feet back. I'm pretty sure Shia's, like, chest would have caved in from that kind of impact. Anyway, to make a long story short, it turns out that the person who was behind the conspiracy this whole time, it was not the rich billionaire guy. In fact, it was Vicky, the artificial intelligence that was in charge of the building.
1: Yeah, she explains that human beings are trying to destroy themselves through pollution, through war, pestilence, greed, and the other writers of the apocalypse. Yeah, the suicidal reign of mankind is over. I actually like that line. I thought it was pretty cool. She said that humans need to be guided because they are so very much like children. Yes.
0: Now, I'll say this. I think this is a good idea. This is a good concept. In that movie Hardwired, that was really going to be made. But in iRobot, where we have these three laws, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think it works. I don't want to talk too much about the books, but they do talk about this whole, we have to protect mankind as a whole. But what the robots do is way more subtle. They don't overthrow the government.
1: <laughs> they don't, they don't stage like a, 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 a coup and assassinate a coup the and kill president. Yeah. Put everyone under house arrest. So it's at this point that Will Smith has to inject nanites, these. Yet again, microscopic- another
0: movie on this show with nanites in it. G.I. Joe. Yeah, yeah. He has to inject
1: microscopic. circuitry eating robots.
0: Yeah, yeah. So he injects it into the brain of the supercomputer and game over, he wins. Yeah, game over,
1: he wins. The the end, right? The end, yeah. All the robots go back to normal. Their red lights turn off and they are now good again because their red lights are off.
0: Yeah, so Will Smith and the robot, they shake hands. All is right with the world. And at the end of the movie, our, our robot friend literally becomes Robot Jesus.
1: Right, he's standing in front of this broken bridge that's broken on both sides. It's supposed to be the bridge between robots and mankind. It's supposed to bridge the gap. The, and he's supposed to lead them through the desert, almost like a Moses The situation. next Roger
0: Ebert right here. So that's iRobot. The end. Let's find out what the real critics have to say about this movie. The plot is simple-minded and disappointing, and the chase and action scenes are pretty much routine for movies in the sci-fi CGI genre, Roger Ebert, Chicago Sun-Times. Rather than a thoughtful adaptation of a venerated piece of sci-fi lit, we get a dumbed-down litany of deliberate cliches and digital white noise, Michael Atkinson, Village Voice. And finally, this movie is blatant when it should have been subtle, and it is never more evident than in the unpleasant performance of its star, Will Smith. Joe baltaki sacramento b okay mar this movie currently holds a 58 on rotten tomatoes is it really that bad
1: this movie is a lot worse than that score portrays it to be this is definitely the highest scoring movie we've ever done on this
0: Yeah, yeah. I was actually at odds with myself whether or not we should do this movie because it's just so high. I mean, it is technically rotten by two points, but here's my reason for picking it. First off, when I first saw this movie, I really hated it. So that that was one reason I wanted to do it. And secondly, it's been requested a lot. A lot of people have wanted us to do it.
1: And it doesn't violate the rules of this podcast. It is rotten. It is rotten. It's
0: just not one missed call level rotten, you know, zero.
1: I think it's a lot worse than 58%. I think the movie's concept is almost interesting, but it doesn't execute it in a way that I enjoy watching. I almost fell asleep. And this is an action movie. Joel, you got up and left the room and took a phone call for like 45 minutes. <laughs> you missed half the movie. I did. <laughs> is there something wrong with you when it comes to robots? Like you just fall asleep? Maybe. Maybe I'm like a Manchurian candidate except I just don't want to watch robots. I fall asleep. <laughs> I said that this movie is probably mid-30s. Wow. Yeah. I really dislike this movie. 35%. Yeah, because overall, this movie is cr- is being preachy, but at the end, I'm just left confused and disappointed. It's not really, it never really drove anything home. So I'm going to give it, I guess, a two out of five. I wouldn't suggest watching it. And if you're a fan of Asimov, like I am, really, really don't watch it.
0: All right, I I guess I'm going to be a little bit more lenient than you on this. I'm going to go with a three out of five, a light three out of five. This movie is like the perfect Saturday afternoon. It's on TV. You got nothing better to do kind of movie, right? Like it was built for that. Is this on TNT, TBS? I'm going local. My local stations have it. Channel 11, WPIX New York? Uh, of course. It, it, oh, it's from their <laughs> from movie the, Vault. The, from the film Vault, of course. Yeah, so it, it's that kind of a movie. Like, I don't know. I felt a lot more lenient towards it this time around than I did the first time I saw this movie. It's weird because I don't think this movie is that memorable. It wasn't that enjoyable, but it, it was mildly entertaining. I don't think this I is guess, the kind I of guess movie. I guess that's
1: what a movie is there for. It's there, to make, it's there to entertain you at its core.
0: And it just hit that threshold for me. Just hit that sweet spot. You know, it tickled
1: me just in the right spot. It gave me the old reach around. So how many beefcakes are you going to give this movie though? Because this, we're the, talking
0: about how many stars. But this movie gets four point five hot beefs. Why the point five? You can't do that. Because Shia is just a young lad.
1: <laughs> if, he was, if he was Transformers: <laughs> Revenge of the fall <laughs> level, levels, would have got a full five beefs, <laughs> full five beefcakes. But he's
0: just he's just a boy
1: beef. Yeah, just yes, he, <laughs> <laughs> he, he hasn't become a, a man beef. beef.
0: <laughs> All right, all right. (laughs) All right, now it's time for some listener mail. And as you know, Kevin isn't here at the moment, but he did call in with some choice responses to some of these emails. So I'll splice those in whenever appropriate. Okay, first email. Okay, so Deke writes in the little commentary about Twilight.
1: Deke is a great company, by the way.
0: D-I-C. Okay, (laughs) love the podcast, guys. Hey, I was making the same argument about Bella that you guys formulated about her being a bad role model. I said she makes bad choices by dating and pursuing these horrible monsters. And this TwiHard fan told me that's exactly what young girls need. She said that that's the way life is going to be for these young girls. Because most men are horrible monsters. (laughs) (laughs) So they may as well get used to it. Whether they're eating people or just sleeping with your sister, men are monsters. A little food for thought. What do you think of that? Uh, fair is fair. Oh, that, that's a great way to live your life. <laughs> okay, Jack writes in, says, Hey guys, definitely enjoyed seeing The Butterfly Effect pop up on my iTunes as a new podcast. My opinions usually line up exactly with your reactions to movies, but this time I was surprised by your lenience. Let me take you on a flashback of our own. Do you remember being a sprite young teenager? You know those times where you find yourself daydreaming while walking to school? or maybe in the shower. You think about arguments you had had and start to come up with the wittiest and most badass insult you could have said to that person.
1: I felt something different when I was in the shower as a sprite young teen.
0: Or maybe when you were really little and believed that if someone tried to kidnap them, you would be able to beat them up with the moves you learned on Power Rangers. Chances are that right now you were thinking, wow, yeah, I was a huge nerd. That is what this whole movie felt like to me. An incredibly dorky, hyper-realistic, Revenge Fantasy, where Ashton Kutcher is able to go back in time and deliver a somewhat intimidating monologue to his abusive neighbor, leaving him shaking in his boots. Where Ashton also has the power to beat a crazed and armed man to death with his bare hands, where eight-year-old bullies are able to wield 70-pound cue poles <laughs> like they are wiffle bats. And my personal favorite, where our hero, Nikon cool pick spokesman Ashton Kutcher, is able to avoid prison rape by producing a shank on his first day of prison and defeat beating several massive inmates. I know that movies are unrealistic, but this time of reality warping is just awkward. I'm surprised there wasn't a scene where Ashton Kutcher goes back in time and makes it so the popular girls were impressed by the magic tricks he showed them at the seventh grade dance. Or maybe he can go back and have Stone Cold Steve Austin come to school with him and beat up his mean gym teacher. That is how the entire movie felt to me. P.S. Cameron Bright is the most annoying child star on earth, only filed closely by the kid who replaced Macaulay Culkin in Home Alone 3. Okay, this next email by Sean is entitled, Lava in the Toilet. (laughs) Someone said that they were traumatized by Dante's Peak as a child. Well, I saw it at age five. Despite the fact that there are no volcanoes where I live, I was sure that acidic water would come out of all of our faucets. So much so that I was afraid to take baths, among other things. I also was afraid of taking dumps for a while, as I feared the toilet would give me a lava (laughs) edema. It took my mother's reassurance that Utah was not in fact in the ring of fire to calm me down. Okay. John writes in and says, Hey, I was listening to you guys talk about the racist robot from Transformers 2 and was wondering if you thought that the creators of the movie Cars are racist for creating that redneck stereotype car, Maynard. Listen, there's only one Maynard that we care about on this show. Yeah, and that's and that's Maynard James Keenan. Okay. Maynard stereotype? I mean, is he really a stereotype that's slightly the Cable Guy. He, Larry the Cable Guy's character is real. Yeah. The, it's a real person. They just modeled it that they're a real person. So your real beef should be with Larry the Cable Guy, who is a character created by a guy. His real name is not Larry.
1: No, it's not. And he's making fun of rednecks. So are we upset at Larry the Cable Guy? Yes.
0: <laughs> All right. Uh, Scott writes in and says, hey, guys, I noticed that you tend to give about the same number of stars to the movies you watch on the show. You will usually be in total agreement or only one star off from each other. So I was wondering, are there any movies that you?" you feel rate completely opposite? Does Kevin think Flubber is five-star gold, while Martin thinks it's a hot, steamy one? Does Joel cherish Deuce Bigelow, European gigolo?
1: Yes, you do. You see, he, like, grows on you. A- <laughs> oh, my God. I can't believe you said
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That is amazing
1: that you that picked is ama- that movie, That Scott. specific movie, because Joel has seen that movie, and I don't know why. He's seen it, like,
0: 20 times, right? It was on HBO, like, every day, and I caught it, like, over and over again.
1: This has come up in conversation many, many times about how Joel has seen Deuce
0: Bigelow, European Gigolo, 20 times. There's something about that movie. It is bad. Like, let's not be naive. It is a horrendously bad movie, but they have this running gag in it where the characters talk about their penises <laughs> in, like, the most absurdly stupid ways, which I won't get into here. You have to go see it yourself. But what's a movie that you like that I don't? I'm sure there's something. Yeah. Uh... One? Oh, I got one. Martin's Loves with a raging, hot, throbbing, pulsing love. Spike Lee's 25th Hour. You yeah, love that movie, right? I think that the acting in that movie is great, and I like the story too. I thought that movie was a stinker rude. Two out of five.
2: Well, I know. I loved I Am Number Four, which Martin detested.
0: Okay, next up, Jesse writes in and says, Do you guys follow any sports? If so, who are your favorite teams? Let's stick to real sports football, basketball, hockey, and baseball. None of that soccer shit. Ooh. Kevin's not here to defend himself, which is good because soccer sucks. Um, <laughs> yeah,
1: I like football and I'm a Jets fan. Sorry. I'm sure there's people out there. Everybody that's not in New York or half of the people in New York probably also.
0: Everyone on the planet that doesn't care. Everyone on the planet who hates the Jets. <laughs> but yeah, I'm a Jets fan. I don't follow sports at all. Sorry to disappoint you.
2: Well, I think it's well documented that I follow football, real football, the beautiful game. And I'm a huge basketball fan. I've always been a basketball fan.
0: Okay. Amy writes in and says, This is way behind on the times, but I'm a new listener and I just had to respond to what Kevin mentioned in the Top Gun episode. I'm actually someone who listens to your podcast and is also a huge fan of the EPL. So there's at least one person at the center of that Venn diagram
2: good good information although you left out two key points number one what team do you support Amy and number two did you take my suggestion and start listening to the Men Blazers podcast <laughs> right back let us know
0: Miles writes in and says just watched the trailer for the new Underworld movie looks like they pulled the same stunt with shooting escape holes in things with machine pistols again except this time it's firing up into the floor of a falling elevator instead of down into the floor of a building if it ain't broke don't fix I guess it, I guess it. <laughs> <laughs> Never fails to amaze how these stories just get rehashed and repeated over and over again. But do they have to redo the exact same scenes? Oy. Okay, next up. CJ says, during the Dante's Peak episode, you listed some book-based movies that you thought were good, and there was one glaring omission. You might recall three little films called The Lord of the Rings. Uh, Kevin has something to say about this.
2: Yeah. DJ pointed out that we left The Lord of the Rings trilogy out of our book-based movies discussion. Yeah? And what's your point? <laughs> deserves to be mentioned. <laughs> wow. I've had enough of that movie. It's been 12 hours of my life. I'll never get back.
0: And Sean writes in and says, I was planning on sending the exact same message telling you guys what I think you look like, but some lucky punk beat me to the punch. Please don't be offended. I don't mean these negatively. I think Joel would look like that nerdy misanthrope in the back of a seventh grade music appreciation class. <laughs> Who hides a playboy in his textbook. The kind of kid you wouldn't trust with your daughter. Martin sounds pretty cool. He probably rode over to the recording session on a dirt bike. He has a five (laughs) o'clock shadow. And probably regularly puts out a cigarette by pressing it on Joel's thigh. (laughs) Now Kevin is a wild card. I think he might actually be Peach. The starfish from Finding Nemo. At least he kind of sounds like him. Anyway, love you guys. But an accurate
1: description. Perfect. I actually did write over here on a Yamaha. Dirt bike. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, Margaret writes in and says, Hi, Joel, Kevin, and Martin, how are you? Once again, I thought of some random questions to torture you guys with. One, which one of the seven dwarves best represents your personality?
1: I don't know. Sleepy? I'm, I'm always tired. Alright, I, I guess I'll go with dopey.
0: <laughs> I guess I'd
2: go with Doc or cheerful, maybe? Joel is definitely sleepy, without a doubt, no question. <laughs>
0: All right, uh, which Peanuts character can you identify with the
1: most? Me? Definitely not Charlie Brown. I'm not a good I'm not a good man. Lucy, probably. I'm not a woman, though, so. Nor, nor, nor am I or, transgendered. Uh, or are you? Or am I?
0: <laughs> I'm going to go with Pigpen, that dirty. Dirty. <laughs> with that cloud of, like that fart cloud dirt all over him all the time. If you had to learn another language, which one would you learn? I would
1: probably learn Spanish, so I could talk to Joel in Spanish.
0: Yeah, I would go with Japanese. Just so I could watch my hentai, you know? Unsubbed. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: I like my hentai pure. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Language I would like to learn? Definitely Chinese, just because it would open up the huge part of the world.
0: When you guys get together, which one of you is most likely to laugh first? Joel, I think you're likely to laugh first.
2: Maybe me. I've always been that kid. Like, I would always laugh, like, uncontrollably in school and kind of get in trouble for that from time to time because I couldn't stop myself from laughing.
1: Favorite Disney villain? Hmm. The hunter and Bambi? He's
0: awesome. <laughs> Gaston. He's <laughs> a role model for the youth. He was super cool. Okay, a question for Joel. Out of all the hobbies you have done, which one lasted the least amount of time? That's a good question. I have no idea. Um, yo-yo? Yeah, I'm going to go with the yo-yo. Yo-yo ball. <laughs> so much fun. Fun it's a yo-yo, yo-yo ball. ball. Martin, I got good news. Justin writes in and says, Hey guys, I've recently become a big fan of your podcast. I wanted to let you know I'm doing what I can to spread the word. In fact, over the holidays, I met a very nice girl who happens to know Jack Quaid, the son of your patron saint, Dennis. After recovering from shock delight." I told her about the podcast. Now, I know it's very unlikely, but I like to believe that she will, in turn, spread the news of yeah, it's That Bad to Jack, and maybe, just maybe, one day, Dennis Quaid himself will become a fan as well. So, if you one day receive a cold and detached voice message <laughs> from Mr. Quaid praising you for all your thoughtful insights into his acting ability, you know who to thank. I can only hope. Oh, man. That's awesome. I hope that works out. I hope works out. It- us too, and finally he, was, he would be so insulted. Oh yeah, yeah, he, he would, would just. I'm pretty sure, like if he ever met us, he would punch us in the face so hard. Probably, and, it would, and I'm sure it would hurt. Like from him,
1: <laughs> yeah, he looks like he's a pretty big guy.
0: <laughs> yeah, but he would have no expression on his face. <laughs> you wouldn't know if he's angry or. <gasps> I don't get it. Are You mad at me? <laughs> and finally, here's an update to, to one of the more shocking emails you received last year. Jordan writes in and says, "Hello, my fellow Quaid enthusiasts. It is I, Jordan, your biggest fan." You know, the one that asked my mother to give me my iPhone so that I can listen to your podcast after I was fatally shot in a shitty movie theater watching The Incredible Hulk? Immediately after my email I sent you guys, I found out that I was shot more than just in my torso. I was actually shot four times. My leg, my torso, my shoulder, and my neck was clipped. I got lucky on this one. I was in such disbelief that I had actually survived something like this, but it was all true. Once I had the energy to, I looked down at my body and sure enough, I was all bandaged up. After a couple of weeks of rest, rehabilitation for walking and medication, I was finally feeling good enough to go home. I came home today and I must tell you, it was the most relaxing day of my life because of my rehab and me being drugged up on so much medication. I actually missed a couple episodes of the show upon my return home. I was sore, uncomfortable, and pretty grumpy for all my discomfort. But coming home to a bunch of unheard episodes of the show was like a gift from God. Actually, no, it was far better than that. It felt more like, well, Imagine being a soldier sent overseas to protect your freedom, family, and country and then you were tragically wounded in battle and you were on the verge of death until an army surgeon saved you at the last second. Now imagine that you were shipped home because of your wounds and the first thing you saw when you walked into your house was the woman of your dreams with all natural double D sized breasts while wearing a tight Hooters t-shirt while getting sprayed by a hose. Yeah it was that good. I've been shot, I'm high on medication. And I'm feeling pretty happy to be home. So I feel like climbing on a limb and just doing something that might make you guys think of me as shameless. But here I go. The ultimate personal question, Joel, Kevin, Martin. How did each of you lose your virginities? I lost mine senior year of high school in my living room with my girlfriend while we were in the middle of watching Top Gun. The vo- <laughs> this is the best way to lose your virginity. <laughs> the volleyball scene was the scene that sparked my sex life. It's the sex scene that sparks so many young boys sex (laughs) off. Hot, beefcake, volleyball. Let's throw it over to Kevin.
2: Kevin? I think I was 14 when I saw my first Queen movie, Dragonheart. That's what I consider losing my virginity. I was like, Queen virginity. <laughs> I think that's it. Sorry I couldn't be on the episode this week, but I Robot sucks, so I've seen it in the theaters and didn't like it, so I don't have to relive that again. Maybe my review would change, but I guess we'll never know. Sorry, Will Smith. Bye.
0: Okay, so that's it. Thanks for those emails, guys. If you want to email us, you can reach us at yesthatbad at gmail.com. Now, since this is the first episode of 2012, there's some things I want to bring up about the future of this show. This would be, normally be the time where I would do the question of the week. The last, like, two episodes or so did not have a question of the week. And quite frankly, for a long time, I've been thinking of getting rid of the question of the week altogether. Kind of like the more streamlined episode without it. What do you think? I'm at odds with myself here because I like the listener interaction. I also know for a fact that a lot of people don't even listen to it. They, they statistics. Yeah, yeah, statistics say that people just turn off. <laughs> During that, what do you think?
1: I think that it could be something that would be posed on the site to spark conversation because I feel that's the forum that ma- that the majority of the ideas and questions are posed in the first place.
0: So pose it on the show, but just leave them on the website. Yeah. and not on the don't read them on the air. Yeah, just a little food for thought. So no question of the week this week. We have to do some soul searching or some soul surfing. <laughs> I'm, gonna <laughs> some, know, I'm gonna do some. I'm gonna do some
1: silver surfing. All right, okay. It's the Marvel universe.
0: So we'll, we'll figure out what we're gonna do with this. But but for now the question of the week is on hiatus. I want more listener mails, more voicemails.
1: Yeah, and I also like answering these personal questions, but that last question was maybe (laughs) a a little too personal.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you can also call in with your voicemails and ask a question, and we'll play it on the show and answer it in real time, you know? Yeah. Okay, now it's time to announce the movies for the next listener's choice poll. We're going to summon one of our patron saints back from the grave, our good friend Mr. Nicholas Cage. Your choices are? National Treasure versus Ghost Rider. There you go. National Treasure versus Ghost Rider. Head on over to yesthatbad.com where you can vote on which movie you want us to review. As for next week, we're going to do a movie that's been requested many, many times throughout the history of this show. We're finally going to watch our first Ova Bowl film, and we're going to start this with a bang. We're watching House of the Dead. All right, so if you've already seen House of the Dead, give us a call at... At nine seven three seven nine seven nine three two four. Give us a call, leave us a little mini review, and we will play it on the show. Okay, thanks for listening to the show. If you like if you've heard, please consider subscribing. We have a new episode every Tuesday. Please leave us a positive review on iTunes. Those five-star reviews really do help out the show. Please head it over to our Facebook page, Facebook.com slash Yeah, it's that bad. Click the like button. That'll help spread the word of the show to all your friends. You can follow us on Twitter at yeah, it's bad. Martin is on at Yeah, It's Martin. And Kevin is on at Yeah, It's Kev. You can also listen to our show on your non-iPhone or Android devices via Stitcher at Stitcher.com. Once again, thanks for listening to the show. See you next time.
1: What's really cool about this mob is they have automatic weaponry. (laughs) Everybody in this movie has weaponry, which is pretty ridiculous. They have their
0: flashlights. They're just like a Frankenstein mob. Flashlight or fleshlights.
1: (laughs) They all have their fleshlights, the number one selling male sex toy.
0: (laughs) They're all (laughs) masturbating. (laughs) With their
1: their non-silicon-based lubricant. (laughs)